This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now, this week, we've got a really exciting announcement, and that is that on the 4th of December, we're going to be releasing the biggest ever clothing collection that we've ever done. The winter range is going to comprise of last year's winter jacket, we brought back in a brand new colour, and added a really warm fleece lining to the inside. We've also got an amazing fisherman's sweater. Alongside that, we've got a selection of t-shirts. They're all going to have a petroglyph-style design. So we're going to have Odin riding Sletnir. We're going to have Thor with his goats. We've got Frey and his boar. We've also got Freya and her cats. So for those that like things a little bit more simple, we're going to have a couple of t-shirts. They're going to have a petroglyph-style version of our logo on there. We've also got a selection of hats and scarves. So whatever you do, just check out the website on the 4th of December and you're going to see some amazing new products. And don't forget, the listeners of the podcast get an extra 10% off anything store-wide with the code HORNS10. So that's the code HORNS10, which will get you 10% off everything store-wide, including the new range. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello. This time we are joined by Emilia Lorenzen, uh, who is uh, one of the singers in Heilung. And aside from being, uh, well, an awesome singer, uh, you're also uh, a bit of a, a, a Indo-Europeanist. You, you have a academic background in, in Indo-European studies. So I'm looking forward to nerding out about language with you a little later on. Um, certainly, certainly. But uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I would say one thing I need to get into later on as well is I don't even fully understand what Indo-European is. <laughs> so I think that, that that will be a good place to start later. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We can and get hope, into that. Hopefully I'm not the only one. Into that wormhole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'm guessing... I mean, before we even start on that, how how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, actually, surprisingly good. Uh, even though this is, you know, now the what is it, the ninth month, tenth month, or whatever of of this weirdness that we call uh, that we call reality, and uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's it's actually going really well. I'm uh, I'm sort of happy to not be so busy in some ways and having lots of time for for other projects and. Uh, yeah, family and stuff like that. Well, the family that I can see here, because, you know, traveling over borders right now, it's not really that much fun. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it's pretty nice. I, I never would have started this project that I'm like doing now if it wasn't for Corona time. So I say one door closes, another one always opens. There's always, yes. there's always something to do, isn't there? Like, especially if you're like me who can't sit still, I'll just figure, figure out something to do. Yeah, I'm pretty good at sitting still, but uh, after a while, it gets boring. So. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like so um, we we uh, met back in January uh, when you guys Hilo uh, um, was playing in Denver um, here in Colorado. Uh, I feel like that's uh, that's about a decade ago at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's the funny thing. In some ways, it feels like. It just happened. Like we were just there. And in other ways, it feels like what that cannot just be 
one year ago. And it's, uh, it's very strange. But yeah, we were on our tour de force of, uh, of the beautiful, beautiful country. And uh, yeah, it was, it was lovely. Yeah. How, how was that? I mean, I, I, I was, you know, following you guys uh, a little bit, you know, on your tour and everything for several of you, I, I feel like it, if I remember correctly, it was first time in the U S too. And so there was like a, you know, a certain sense of you guys touristing around a little bit as well. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was quite a lot of touristing being done. Uh, and even though I had actually been to the States uh, like three times before, you know, it's it's always different and we saw so much we were so many places uh you know from one coast to the other and i had never done that before so did you get to do you get to finish the the tour or was it cut short by by what happened it wasn't it was really just actually perfect we uh we finished it and then we went home and then we started sort of hearing more and more about the corona but then there was the uh the york yorvik festival uh where we where we also played but that was really then then we could sort of feel okay there's really something coming uh, something mm-hmm. is not right yeah because that was um, mid was then, that mid-february uh yeah almost towards the end of feb yeah um so that was the last one yeah that's when it really started to kind of pick up and it was i mean it was scary to start with you yeah know, not, not anybody knew what kind of what was going on it was uh it was different yeah. to say the least yeah certainly but um, I mean, uh, since then, I've just been so happy that we had this amazing, you know, around three week tour before all of this happened, uh, that we just sort of got our batteries all pumped up with amazing experiences. And uh, uh, yeah, and then could sort of just enjoy this quiet in some yeah. ways. Yeah. So how long would you normally go in between tours anyway? Well, um it's it's been very different now of course i have only uh only been a part of heilung since um 2018 like the end of 2018 uh i was first a, a warrior first time uh which was amazing also um and then all of a sudden they needed an extra singer and ca- called me in for a gig in uh in uh, in london in uh, 2018 and then Glasgow, and that was uh, that was my first time in front of that many people on a stage with uh, insane people I just met the month before, mm-hmm. and uh, that was really great. But that was a, an experience. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I was uh, I was so elated uh, and scared shitless, of course. So um, yeah, I mean, let's. I, I want to ask about how long, I guess, to start with, and then we can can move into other stuff. I guess. The main question is just like how how is that? I mean, in in a band that seems to just be grown in popularity, especially in the last couple of years, this whole kind of Viking music genre seems to have just blown up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it's been such a strange and amazing journey. I mean, like I told you, I started as a warrior, <clears throat> and that was because you know my my older brother Jonas. He used to be in Heilung and he was in Heilung at the time. And, and he, he just, uh, he convinced me, uh, come on, don't you think you should do this? Don't you think that would be a good idea? And I was like, no, but yeah, but no, <laughs> but yeah. And then I, I, you know, I practiced the, my, my, uh, my voice and, uh, and all the words and stuff and, and, uh, did, a did an 
uh, audition because you know no nepotism so um so and then i got in and that was amazing and it was a dr concert which is like 1800 people ish uh round stage super amazing and just met all the people there and uh uh, particularly uh, one person who I'm then still with today. So that was pretty cool. Uh, my boyfriend, Pan, who's also one of the warriors. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was really just lots of luck for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, Nothing said, wrong with was, that. No, exactly. That's uh, just all love and happiness. Were you singing... Were you singing already separate, kind of on your own? Did were you doing like solo stuff, or was this? Did did Jonas just kind of talk you into it out of the blue? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, uh, we both, uh, and also our older brother Christian, we've all been singing from from when we were kids. Um, so it's always been a thing. I've always been singing and, uh, you know, playing some piano and some guitar. And uh, for a good while, I was also uh, doing the singer songwriter scene in Copenhagen and performing my own songs and stuff like that. Uh, I was also still doing it a little bit at the time, but I was also very busy because I was studying my uh, to, to become a bachelor's in Indo-European at the time. Um, but yeah, so I was singing lots and uh, and already, yeah, had a decent sense of rhythm and uh, and could remember some nice names for Odin uh, pretty, pretty quickly. So... <laughs> Uh, but then that that's also why uh, Maria, Ma- Maria, she asked me if I could fill in for this singer when we then went to London and uh, Glasgow. If I could just really quickly learn Norupo, uh, all the lyrics to the Norwegian rune, rune poem and uh, and go with them. And uh, I was either way going to be there just as a like groupie in the background or mm-hmm. what you say. Uh, but uh, But yeah, then I joined on singing and it was uh, really great and since then it's mainly like just slowly slowly just became clear that this was a really good fit and uh, she asked me they asked me to become a member like a like a what's what's it called uh, like a, a normal member like a member first Muslim in danish i don't know it, it sounds Muslim. like you it sounds like you almost just refused to leave like you, yeah, a little bit. Like you got to, you yeah. got to do the show in London. I was like, "Fuck that! I'm, I'm here now." Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. it. You, I'm in now. Yeah, you can't get rid of me. No, but yeah, but it was yeah, it was lovely. Just I, I already knew uh, some of the people. I already knew uh, Chris and Maria from from years before. Um, also, I'd been to some of their concerts with with Hussein, their their other band, and uh, so so and into some parties with Jonas and them and just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though being part of this big international band all of a sudden was like, wow, this is amazing. I never thought I would get there. I thought I would be a, a singer songwriter forever. Then it also felt really safe and just nice and like becoming a part of a family, you know? So, uh, yeah. It sounds like an all like an awesome kind of, journey and just just kind of happened i guess you know like the the, they say the the best things that kind of just happen out of the blue they're not they're not necessarily always planned you you obviously had the talent but the opportunity arose and you uh (laughs) just jumped at it yeah really uh i because i i thought i was going to be an academic you know Mm -hmm. a singer songwriter and an academic and then that was it uh but then slowly slowly uh 
I guess Heilung just sort of took over a lot of my uh, my time, but mainly also just my interest. And uh, and in the end, I decided to to uh, stop studying and just go full into being a member of Heilung and and being a musician, really, because it's been something I've wanted since I was a kid. Um, and then Corona came. So that's <laughs> right. nice. <laughs> Very nice so, and ironic. <laughs> so what is the, the project that you're working on right now? Um, you hinted at something earlier. Yes, it's uh, it's not something that I want to completely like uh, reveal yet um, because it's still really in the beginning phases and I am trying to get funding for it and blah, 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 blah. But I can say that it is a musical project and it is it is uh, folk music. Um, and it's something that also occurred to me. It has, has occurred to me for, uh, it did occur to me for uh, like a while ago. But to really actually go into doing it, that that only came now with Corona and uh, the fact that I could see over the spring, okay, this is not, we're not going to get out and play again with Heilung very soon. So now mm-hmm. I had time for it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, well, I can say that I come from a small island in the Baltic Sea, which is called Bonholm. And, uh, and it's a really beautiful island. It, uh, sorry, it doesn't look like the rest of Denmark. Um, <laughs> well, there are beautiful places in the rest of Denmark, but you know, they're not Van Holm. So, um, uh, I, I, I think, I think uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're trying to avoid <laughs> saying it doesn't not look like a ploy mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it has some ploy marker, but they're all with nice hills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and for those who don't speak Danish, Ploymark simply means like a, it's, it's sort of like a... A plowed a, field. Yeah, a plowed field, but, but you know, not in a nice way. No, no. <laughs> Ploymark is really just, oh, it's boring. Really yeah, boring. Yeah, that's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my part of the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Creates a different character, I guess. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, it's good. But, uh, but yeah, so I come from there and it has a really interesting, uh, how do you say, it has really interesting dialect. Some people will say language, uh, but, you know, dialect language, yeah, potato, potato. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, and there are some folk songs from there and I'm trying oh, to cool. look into a way of, uh, of getting them into the world somehow. But, that uh, sounds nice. awesome. Cool. Does, like, yeah. Yeah. It I, sounds very I, cool. I really like that. I, nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Have you ever heard any Bonholmian folk songs? Uh, yes, I have, but I, nothing that really comes to mind. Like at like, but uh, no, I, I definitely have. And you know, it, you know Bonholm is a as a as a place is just an incredibly interesting and mm. needs more exposure to the world in general. I think definitely. Um, you know, like. Yeah, as you say, it's it's much much more magical looking than the rest of Denmark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I have to agree, and uh, and also there's a lot of. I mean, there is a lot of these kind of stories in all of Denmark, but there's a lot of stories about magical beings and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that being very present in people's lives, basically till this to this day. Yeah, um, and uh, stuff like under Earthlings, for instance, Ona Jordiske. Uh, which is uh, really cool. Uh, actually, I can show you. I, I found this book. Now, of course, people listening can't see it, but it is a book which uh, is called Bonholmske Folke Mina, which means the Bonholmian folk 
memories, I guess. Okay. Uh, and on the front, you have some uh, very uh, warlike under earthlings with spears and and uh, and some uh, helmets on and stuff like that. And then you've got one of the famous round churches in the in the background. And uh, and I've read through this, and it's just really weird and amazing stories from the island. And uh, I'm definitely gonna somehow include them in the project also because this is it's so nice and weird. Um, I like this. I love the sound of this. This, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean because Bonholm is sort of like you know how there's this uh, 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 this thing that people say about like ice and they, they still believe in elves and ice and you know which is like yeah. a, a, a truth with modifications. But yeah. but it's the same with like Bonholm. That's that's where you still have have a lot of the the old uh, folk lore and folk stuff uh, still hanging around. You get that some in other places in Denmark too, but it's, it's very pronounced in Bonholm. How big is the island? Yeah, how big is it? Well, I, I, I always say to population people... Population size, I guess. Oh, yeah. that's It's almost 40,000 people. So it's it's small, but it's not tiny. Yeah, mm. so yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a small city, though, isn't it? For for an island, I guess. it's It is pretty small. Yes, it is pretty small. And it, it takes like half an hour to go from one side to the other. 45 minutes on the longest edge. It's basically a square uh, okay. island, so... Yeah. It's also one of the places that has sort of suffered a little from, you know, economic downturns and people yeah. moving to Copenhagen and you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, Definitely. Like a lot of other Lots places. Lots of brain drain, like they call it. Yeah. Which I think is yeah. a bit of a meh term. But, yeah. you know, we, <laughs> because there's still brains there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are oh, yeah, so, maybe not academic, but that doesn't mean they're not smart. No, exactly. By the way, there's also Bonholm as a historical site. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot that indicates that it was incredibly important. Say, for instance, in the Viking Age and before even, um, we have the Sotenmur, uh, for instance, the um, a huge site where they keep finding little gold foils that with uh, you know different supernatural beings imprinted on them. Yeah, the uh, Gulguba. Yeah, called. Yeah, exactly, and. Yeah. Uh, mo- mo- the most recent thing that I heard about that is actually that um, some of them like look like straight up like trolls, like like yeah. ancient carvings from in gold from like the Viking Age that look like trolls and other like uh, beasts and so on. So that's that's really interesting. And yeah, they're also they're saying that there's a there's definitely been a temple there. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's also, uh, just to add to the, the, the historical fame of Bonholm, yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 I think it's still the, the general theory is that the Burgundians uh, originated from, from yes. there. So I was going to mention that if you didn't, okay. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, I mean, they, they founded a kingdom which is now a, uh, well, a, a part of France known yeah. as Bourgogne. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, not not yeah. an insignificant part of Northern Europe, if you ask me. Especially not for a, a small little little island. Yeah, it's because it's. I mean, now first little fact is that, uh, as far as I know, in Old Norse, it was called Borgundarholmer, mm-hmm. and then it changed into Borgund or Borgundholmer. Then it was Boringholm, and then still in Bonholmian today, it's called Boringholm. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's, that's how you say it in dialect. But, um, it's because, I mean, I think it's importance is also because it's so strategically placed. I mean, even today, I believe that some people 
think the Russians are flying over to see if maybe they could uh, do something with the place. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was about to ask that. Is it kind of geographically placed in a yeah. in a good position, I guess? That's the thing. It's basically, uh, it's southeast of Sweden, north of both, uh, you know, of course, Germany and Poland, quite close to the Baltic countries and Russia, uh, that, that way over. So it's been pretty, uh, there's been some some wars uh, that have been fought over that place. Okay. Uh, and the Russians also stayed a little bit longer after the Second World War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the only part of Denmark that was like liberated by the Russians. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, so they were hanging out for, for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. There's very different stories. Some people say, oh, the Russians were were not nice to the Bonhomians. Some people say, oh, they just chilled out. And then eventually, uh, I think the English again came in and, and did some bombing, and then they then they went off. See, the thing is that you know that Denmark Denmark in World War Two was generally known by the Germans as as the whipped cream front. This this is where you go and hang out with whipped cream. Like, <laughs> not a lot of things fun. going on. <laughs> yeah, flu's <Flo's> called fun. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've never heard that. You have you haven't heard about that? No, no, never. Uh, that's that's really funny. It was like the, the Denmark was vacation time more than anything else. Um, so, but no, it's a, but yeah, as you say, it's a strategically incredibly important uh, place. Um, I mean, uh, back when Denmark ceded uh, uh, Scania, Holland and Blekinge uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, to Sweden. Sweden. Yeah. yeah. The southern part, what is now the southern parts of Sweden. Yeah. Uh, um, in 1658, uh, Bornholm was actually part of that secession. Um, they, they, but uh, the Bornholmians uh, um, rioted so much that the Swedes were like, you can have the back. <laughs> it makes me so warm inside that you know this, Matthias. Of course oh. I know this. Of course so I know many it. people have no idea. So many Danish people he have knows no idea. Everything. I'm sick uh, of it. <laughs> well, I, when I'm it comes just, to I'm history. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, to, to link it back to, to kind of the Viking Age, I guess its position must have been important then as well, I assume, maybe for like a trade link almost, I guess, between yeah. if, if it's like that stopping gap almost between the north and the south. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, I myself am not too educated on the Viking history of of Bonholm itself, but but I mean, I know that at least the not to get back to those round churches that I showed you on the thing, uh, the round churches uh, they were built. The earliest one I believe is built in eleven. Is it eleven fifty? I think so, something like that. So it's after the Viking age, but still, uh, well, in the sort of ballpark um (laughs) and they were built and then uh a lot of people believe that they were also used as uh larders for ammunitions and for basically stuff that people could need when they were going on travels and uh there's also been uh, some theories about the Knights Templar doing stuff there, and uh, there's there's uh, a whole Dan Brown theory about yes, them. Like there's it's, a it's whole like, thing. It's so funny. <laughs> angels and demons, and you don't know oh, what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a like there's a hidden chamber under one of the churches that nobody has opened because it's uh, like it's uh, it's frilled. How do you say this? It's um, sanctified. It's um, yeah, yeah, protected. It's protected. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I was going to say pretend. (laughs) It's protected. 
so you're not allowed to open it. And then they believe, oh, maybe there's some artifacts from the Knights Templar there that they left and uh, sealed up or something for uh, posterity. Well, I mean, I mean, part of part of the important thing of, of this is, of course, that the round churches, they're, they're only uh, found in Bornholm and in one location in mainland Denmark. And that's Torsea in, in Jurstan. Oh, really? Yeah, there's... That, that's around church too, but, but that's the only one that you have outside of Bonholm yeah. in, in the Danish area. So there's like, there's, there's something curious about that, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, and the, the way that they've been built also, uh, the fact that they are around, you could say, okay, it is for aesthetic purposes. It looks really great. Uh, but it could also be that then they are easier to defend. Mm hmm. Because you you can go from any angle and uh, yeah it's harder to to get in there yeah and then you also see the little you can see them here uh, little bitty holes there on the top of the church which would make sense if they were for shooting out of either bow and arrow or uh, or an early sort of gun uh, so yeah they're just it makes sense. That they were so, it that. sounds like such a fascinating little place that I'd never even heard of. It's yeah, definitely it's worth cool. the trip. Like, um, you know, if you, if you ever go to Denmark and you're like on vacation, you should go to Bonholm and, and, and stay, stay there for at least a week, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. Less than a week is really, then you haven't seen anything because there's so no. much to see. Um, and also now the, the medieval, those churches are medieval, uh, definitely. And then there is also a Viking fortress, uh, like a Viking, uh, ball um fortress castle uh that's been found in the middle of the islands basically the um, the nature of the island is that it is like i said sort of a square in the south you have uh, beaches and white sands and then you it sort of slopes upwards into the middle where you have a forest that is sort of it's very it's quite uh, elevated and then in the north it slopes down a little bit again and then becomes rocky shores um, and in the uh, west and east, it's sort of also a mix. Um, and in the middle there in the forest, that's where this uh, Viking fortress has been found. And it's been dated to around 750, I believe. Um, so quite old. And uh, and then there's a another castle quite close to, which is then called Lillebau, which means little castle. It's very cute. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's a bit later yet. But then... I believe there was a bishop of Lund, I think, maybe, who then came to the island Lund, which is a small um, a city in uh, Sweden that has a like a bishop, uh, you know, a cathedral and stuff. It, it, then, was, it was literally like the m most important town in Scandinavia yes. at the time in the 1100s. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that the bishop of Lund then uh, needed to have a, a seat uh, on Bonholm as well. Um, because it was all part of the same sort of uh, area. And then he built, he let build, as far as I have understood, the biggest ruin that is on the island, and I believe also in Northern Europe, maybe, uh, which is called Hammer's Hoos, mm -hmm. uh, Hammer's House, basically. Um, it's called Hammer's Hoos because it is situated on a like a promontory sort of a piece of land that is called the Hammer. Uh, I don't know why, maybe it looks like a hammer, but uh, people couldn't see it from a, above. I don't know. It's a typical uh, uh, Scandinavian word for for that type of rock that it's, it's situated on. That's called a hammer. Oh, so, nice. So that's why, yeah. Like a promontory yeah, no, rock kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. 
it sounds like a very kind of military island as if as if this was used to i guess maybe to stop people coming from south to north maybe or vice versa or a kind of to, to station maybe people there to watch the watch the sea i guess i don't know Mateus, <laughs> help me out here like, but you can I've, definitely see the sea from that castle because it's really high up and there's just sea from there yeah and so, so yeah okay so so yeah uh, the significance of bonhorn in a viking age context and also medieval context well basically up until very recently um and i would say i guess it's still recently kind of like important in in the sense that it is also a naval stopping point uh if you're if so say you are russians who would like to have access proper access to the uh, the atlantic right you have to go through denmark um that's why russia has a couple of tactical nukes designated for denmark um so it's like in the event of war it's like boom boom and then we take it over and that it can sort of um i think the russian invasion plan is sort of six days and then we expect to have the whole country <laughs> taken over thanks for telling me that <laughs> yeah you know, it's, it's, oh, very, just, oh. it, it's kind of nerve-wracking there, there's a reason <laughs> From what you said, it kind of sounds like a little island that that's positioned where, especially you know back a thousand years ago when you didn't have airplanes, so everything was by sea. So if you're you're in like the Baltic areas, Russia, you have to come past this little island to get around, I guess, which is why it would make sense. It's almost like a, I guess, like a military post or like a checkpoint is yeah. kind of what I'm thinking. And that's, that's what I was getting at. So, so in the Viking Age, what you have is like Denmark, um, as sort of like a, a, a more or less coherent kingdom. You can't really say that it was 100%, but let's just say Harold Bluetooth's time, uh, in the middle of the 900s. Um, Harold Bluetooth definitely rules over the peninsula of Jutland, the archipelago that includes Fyn, uh, Sjelan and a bunch of small islands. And then the southern parts of Sweden, and then uh, Bornholm as well, and perhaps also bits of southern parts of Norway, um, maybe Irland, uh, which is now a Swedish island on the eastern side of Sweden. Uh, Sweden is also part of uh, his kingdom, right? And so Bornholm is um, strategically, tactically, incredibly important um, because it is uh, a central point in uh, what is basically, to use one of Neil Price's terms, a hierarchy, right? Um, his, his, he rules over seed. Uh, what I always say to, to, to my students is that the, for Vikings, the ocean is a highway. Um, yeah. it's not a stopping block whatsoever. It is something that will take you, uh, to where you want to rule or raid or pillage much faster. And, um, we also, we, we know that there are a couple of, uh, points in what is now Lithuania. And of course, the, the Polish coast, uh, where there were incredibly important um, trade ports, and these trade ports were probably more visited and and sometimes perhaps even ruled by uh, or or conquered by or pillaged by uh, Danish Vikings than any other Vikings. Like this, this would be a specific areas of interest for 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 those who would be ruling in the Danish area. Whereas you see, for instance. Uh, the rulers in, in, in Upland and Svealand in, in the Swedish, uh, area, which is around Uppsala and Stockholm today, 
they are incredibly interested in what goes on uh, along the Finnish coast and the Estonian coasts, right? So that's where they go and and assert uh, some power at least. Um, and it looks like the Danes they they use Bornholm as like uh, that point from which they will then um, assert power or in other ways like establish alliances and communicate with with the peoples living in that Baltic, uh, southeastern Baltic area. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it would have been incredibly important at the time. Yeah. By the way, there's, uh, um, I think it's in Yom's, yeah, yeah this Yom's Viking saga. There's a guy who gets his uh, hands in, in this, in, in a battle, great battle. He gets his hands and his jaw cut off in, in this battle. And afterwards he takes, takes um with this without his hands uh, a couple of golden chests he might have really really good feet maybe <laughs> yeah. ben, be, yeah. very, be very bendy <laughs> i guess so but but then he also says without a jaw by the way um that uh, uh, uh he he is sort of like this this epic moment where he like stands up uh, without uh, hands and without a jaw, and then he has like a couple of golden chests under his arms, and he says, "Well, since I've lost my jaw, the pretty ladies at Bornholm will not want to kiss me any longer." Then he jumps into the ocean. <laughs> oh, wow! So, okay, what a story! Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a. Uh, it's uh, you know, I think that that whole story about the the pretty ladies in Bornholm has. Uh, has survived to this beautiful song that you maybe also know from Vater Fia uh, about Bonholm. Yes. Bonholm, Bonholm, Bonholm. La 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 la. Because then it goes, Mit Bonholm, Dine Pia, Soskanel, Gifasan, Mitin, It all means, oh, Bonholm, your ladies are so beautiful and blah, blah, blah. So that is from the, what is that, from the 60s or something? Yeah. Know, yeah, like yeah. this family movie. Which yeah. is about macking on Bonhomme and chicks. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really watched it, so I don't know. But it's it's uh, very cute <laughs> and a bit annoying. Yeah, okay. it is a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does sound like such an interesting place that I really want to go and visit now. Mm-hmm. I you think you should. You should. Beautiful nature, lovely archaeological finds. You know, I, I don't know. What, what more can I say? I thought we were turning into a musical then. <laughs> it sounded like you just, everything you were saying was ending the, in a the, song. The singing tone, yeah. La, um, la, la. But that's pretty much how my life goes, so it's okay. There's also a dish, Solo Guyen, right? Um, Sunshine over God's home. Yes. Because Guyen is an actual town uh, on Bonholm, which is, yeah, means God's home. So, uh has a very very pretty view. <laughs> it's, it's older than you know that that god, uh, so yeah. so it would probably have been the god's home. Yeah, so that would make sense. Ones, um, yeah. Uh, what is that dish? Can you tell us? That is a piece of rye bread, which is uh, very nice and uh, how do you say really uh, brown, very dark, dense <laughs> uh, Dry. piece of rye bread. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, no. It is very moist. Ooh, mm-hmm. so moist. And then you have a good layer of butter on there. Then you have a smoked herring. A smoked herring, which is then smoked to perfection, obviously, uh, on Bonhomme. Usually not fished in the Baltic Sea, though. 
but anyways, let's not talk about that. And then you put the <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice smoked fish on the bread. Then you have some, uh, some chives, lovely fresh cut chives, and then a raw egg yolk, plumps. And then this is what you eat. I mean, if people say English about it, food. <laughs> I'm telling you, you will be surprised. You go to Fun Hut, you order yourself one of those, and you will love it. It is delicious. <laughs> it is Perfect. So nice. Yes. Only I can say only if you and us cooked it for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. You that would be, be the that would be the deal. Yeah, I think that's a good deal. But it's it's amazing. Just smoked fish. Have you ever? Do you do you like smoked fish? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Ah, I miss it. Yeah. It's never with a an egg just stuck on there. Yeah, but you know, you're going to be surprised. I'm telling you. I'll, I will try it. I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely will try it. I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a Yorkshire boy. I eat gravy and Yorkshire puddings and mm-hmm. meat and potatoes. Yeah. You know, the very cooked, staple cooked meat. Yeah, just the All very the- much cooked the, stuff yeah the staple british carbs yeah but you couldn't you couldn't call that this sunshine over god's home if it didn't have the uh, the, the little uh, sunshine yolk yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> without that it's just a herring on a piece of bread exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. no no finesse no charm no that's, that's again that's, that's just stable bonhomian food it's just rye bread and smoked fish boom there you go. Then you make it fancy with the chives and the little sunshine. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one reason why I love this podcast so much because I never thought we would end up here. <laughs> no, me neither. I, I did I, not I expect think it's my this. Fault. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I would go. I guess. Guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to kind of jump back on topic, I guess, of, uh, of the purpose of the podcast. Um, Nordic mythology, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, anything about of... smoked fish? No, sorry. <laughs> well, so, I mean, it does. <laughs> sorry, probably is. I mean, at the uh, at the top of the show, I asked kind of what Indo-European language is, and and hopefully, I'm not the only person who's either listening or watching this that, that wonders that it's it's a term that I always hear, but I feel like that kid in class, you know, when the teacher says, "If anybody wants to know." please ask yeah. but then you feel too embarrassed to actually ask because you feel like you probably should already know yeah no but it's it's something that most people don't know and uh and it's also fair enough i mean nobody not everyone has to know this but it does feel like a very sort of for me as someone who's very interested in languages it feels like a very sort of basic thing to know that i just didn't know before i figured it out weirdly by coincidence um because I've always been interested in languages, always been a nerd, uh, learned English from my brothers when I was very small and all these things. But then I uh, took a travel to India and uh, uh, I think I was 22, something like that. And I was very interested in learning a little bit of Hindi. And I then I just, I, I listened to it and I thought, okay, this is this is a little bit weird. Why? Why does it sound a bit like a European language? Why why do they say ma and pa to mother and father? Um, maybe it's influenced from English. But on the other hand, people who only speak Hindi also say ma and pa. Hmm. 
that's funny. And then I sort of looked into that a little bit. I also learned some some Sanskrit mantras because, you know, as a good hippie, this is what you do. <laughs> and uh, you, Om Bur and all the stuff, you have to learn it. And then again, I looked at that and was like, yeah, this is, this is weird. It looks so similar. It looks so, so close by so many uh, European languages. I had learned also some Latin and stuff like that. And then when I came back home, for my long, long travel, uh, which was amazing, I thought, okay, I should study something. I really want to study something with linguistics. My father always said I should study linguistics. Now I better just give in. And uh, then I looked up at all the different uh, possibilities that were at the University of Copenhagen. And then this Indo-European linguistics popped up and I thought, oh, what's that? That's That looks weird. And then I read into it and, okay, this is... Indo-European is the language family in which all of our languages in Europe and all the way in a sort of nice line all the way down to India, they all go into that one. And then all the way also up to Iceland and Norway and Sweden and Russia and everything. And it is one out of... Now, again, I forget how many language families there are in the world. Do you have that on the tip of your tongue, Matthias? Uh, no. no. <laughs> well, there are other language families like feno ugric for instance. Other people call it just the uh, uh, Ural languages or whatever. But that is yeah, Finnish, Hungarian, and uh, Estonian, and some languages in Siberia. And then you have uh, Sino-Tibetan, which is, yeah, Chinese uh, and Tibetan and uh, some uh, Taiwanese, I believe, and stuff like that. And they're all different language families. And of course, there are people who believe that they are also all the way back when you go back through history, also connected to the Indo-European languages. But this is all uh, on a speculation basis because it's, you know, it's so difficult to even mm -hmm. figure out. It goes so far back in time that it is so way before any writing system uh, that you, it's very hard to say. Uh, but Indo-European languages, I can then say we have, um, the reason why it's called Indo-European is because it goes all the way from India and all the way to uh, to Europe. And so there's the Indo-Iranian languages, Indic, Iranian, some different languages uh, in that area. And then there are, of course, the Germanic languages that all of us speak, um, which are divided into West and North Germanic because East Germanic, unfortunately, died out. Um, and then you have the Romance languages and then you have all the Slavic languages. And yeah, uh, and then there are some over there's Greek, of course. Sorry, little Greek. Forgot Greek. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just, it's an isolate. It's all alone. So, mm. so, so Greek separate to everything else? No, they're, they're, they're like, they are their own thing. Yeah. So they are also in the same language family. It's all mm -hmm. in the same language family, but they are their own thing. Some people believe that Greek and Albanian may be closer related than to others, but it they're just they're so different uh somehow they manage to just stay themselves they're probably uh, brain, they, they probably branched off uh, much earlier from yeah. from the other i mean if we if we look at it sort of like if you have like eastern europe right um 
what, 3,000 years ago or something like that, right? So, yeah, we already have, like, the Greeks are, like, getting established down in the southern Balkans, right? And then we have, like, the, the Celtic and Germanic and, uh, and Roman uh, proto-language uh, sort of, like, moving into Europe at that time, right? Is, isn't that sort of, like, the timeline? And then they start yeah. splitting off after that. Yeah, because, of course, linguistics, when you talk about historical linguistics, you also have to look at... Uh, migration history, uh, which is sometimes difficult to uh, to sort of put really firmly, because a lot of times it happens that some people go over here more to the west, and then uh, some split off and go back, or go north, or go south, and it's difficult. But you can talk about very sort of general directions mm-hmm. that have happened, um, and yeah, so it uh, a lot of people talk about uh, the Italo-Celtic branch because there are some similarities between the italic romance languages and the celtic languages that make people believe that they may be split off together and then later forked into two different very different branches um but yeah it's uh it's it's super interesting and it's uh, very, very complicated. And it's, yeah. It sounds very yeah. complicated. <laughs> so yeah. I guess my, my, my initial question is, where does it all start? I don't, yeah. know, if, I don't know if that's even possible to answer. Ooh, but is there, been... like, is there like one thing where it started here and then spread, I guess? Well, I think for academia's sake or for the sake of doing being able to do any kind of research you sort of have to say that it started somewhere you have to put an origin point and then from there it can develop into very difficult things but if you don't sort of pinpoint an origin point then you have nothing to talk about so that's what people do they say that it makes sense. It makes sense to a lot of linguists, a lot of historical linguists and archaeologists, that the original Indo-Europeans, as we call them, that they lived on the southern Russian steppes uh, around the north of the Black Sea, around oh, six thousand, seven thousand years ago, something like this. And again, do not sort of. Don't pin me on this because <laughs> <laughs> I am not an expert, but I have studied it. And this is what uh, I've heard a lot of people say. And then it would also make sense to link them with the historical archaeological people called the Yamnaya. So they are the Yamnaya culture. They've been historical, like there have been archaeological finds of them uh, around there on those steps. Uh, and then it would also make sense because a lot of very original Indo-European words that we've been able, that not we, but that people have been able to reconstruct are about horse riding and wagons and herding and uh, having cattle and uh, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm sure I'm trying to just get my head around this. <laughs> would, um, would that have been like the the origin of that those people speaking? like, Or would it be that, uh, something else turned into this does that make sense is it like people then starting to speak and that's what language came or is there like a language before that those people may have spoken then it adapted there's definitely been a language before uh people have been speaking before the question is just to what degree 
and uh okay so it wasn't a case of kind of grunts and then <laughs> no it suddenly turned into and then to words. Ter, equos, uh, whatever no uh, okay. <laughs> no uh definitely there's been people speaking but i think one number i heard once was maybe like a, a, a hundred thousand years ago people started speaking but it's so okay i don't know what yeah, what yeah. have you heard matthias i i i, I don't want to that that's like <laughs> that's a beast nest i'm not going to start it's so difficult <laughs> yeah no so i mean some are some are suggesting that the neanderthals had language um yeah. and and we're still we're still finding out so much new stuff about earlier types of humans that you know it's difficult to say i'm, I'm pretty sure that the, that the, the kind that we are um the homo sapiens they probably always had language that that's that's my my guess in some yeah. kind of language but we can that see we developed it. from another type that also had some kind of language maybe it, it, perhaps yes yeah but, but yeah. it's also it also comes down to like what do you define as language like some of the, th- the sounds that we make today our distant ancestors weren't capable of making them you you have to introduce farming before uh, before you can make certain uh, certain uh noises with your mouth yeah. um yeah so so there, there are some things there that uh that have changed a lot and and language has developed um you know both like uh in terms of phonetics and so on become more refined i guess you could say um so, so it's really difficult to say what, 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 what existed before. And also keep in mind, I mean, this is a, uh, a very, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take it, take, take anything away from this, uh, from, from the study of Indo-European, uh, lang- uh, languages, but, but it's a speculative science in the sense that we're reconstructing words. We don't actually know what they sound like because we have nothing to hold them up against. No, like no, but no it, writing and so on. Yeah. But yeah so, so so I get what you're, what you're saying, because if you take something like archaeology, you at least have the physical finds that you, that you can say something about. You can say what material is it made of, uh, what symbols does it have on it, if any, um, what were its surroundings, because you can analyze what it had around it. And this you can't do with reconstructing words, because you can really only say something about words from reconstructing them so it is definitely very very speculative but there is a way of reconstructing these words that really makes sense and the cool thing about it is that it is constantly being challenged mm-hmm. within the indo-european community like people who research it the way that it is done the reconstruction is all always being refined uh, and I have sat at the uh, conferences where people have talked about, well, this tiny little change in this language at this time would not have made sense because blah, blah, blah. And you have this over here that doesn't connect. And it is uh, mind-blowingly amazing, uh, the work that these people are doing. So, so yes, it is speculative, but it is, again, educated guessing. Uh, and in the end, you can educate yourself so much that you can basically say, this is the only thing that makes sense until someone else comes and says, Meh, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and so and, that's pretty cool. But that's also what I, uh, what I want to add here. Like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's a very refined, uh, uh, you know, scholarship that we're dealing with here. So, so when I say speculation, 
definitely don't just mean a bunch of dudes making stuff up or something yeah. like that. That's not what we're doing with you. No, no. I mean, also think, uh, keep in mind, this is a 300-year-old discipline at this point. Um, it, wasn't it kind of founded by Rasmus Rask? Well, yes. I mean, there's a lot of people <laughs> talking about this. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that... The question is, who was it that begun it all and started it all? But of course, again, you have the case of it didn't just pop out of nothing. You know, yeah, they yeah. didn't just, uh, oh, we don't know what it is. All of a sudden, hey, it's called Indo-European. So <laughs> there was a, a lot of um, a lot of development. But yeah, I mean, uh, Rasmus Rask was a biz, uh, he was a Danish uh, scholar uh, in the 1700s. Uh, and uh, uh, so, yeah, and then uh, he... He talked about the the Germanic uh, developments mm. and stuff like that. Uh, but there was also a, a lot of people uh, credit this guy. Now I have to remember what his name is again. William something. Uh, this guy went to India and uh, did a conference upon language there and talked about the fact that Sanskrit, uh, because he had studied Sanskrit and that it may very well be connected with all the other European languages. Uh, mm-hmm. And I forget what his name is. That's very embarrassing. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, uh, <laughs> I should know this. Yeah, that's the thing. I really <laughs> so, I feel mean, like, oh, I should really know this. It's I mean, so one of the, so, so, so the, uh, so the, one of the reasons that this, uh, linguistic uh, research is, is important to, to the study of Nordic mythology is that with this linguistic research comes also the realization that, oh, wait a minute, actually, like, so many of these myths that we find in, like, Greece, in in India, in, in ancient Persian mythology, uh, in, in, in Slavic mythologies, and Scandinavia, and in, uh, in Old Celtic uh, religion and Roman religion, they actually they intersect. They they they. Some of the gods are almost the same. Some of the uh, uh, stories are almost the same. Some of the stories are, are you know the same structures just applied to another god and so on. So so all of a sudden we're realizing. Oh wait a minute! Along with this language um, uh, came probably also a bunch of original gods that that all of these uh, Europeans uh, Indo-European. Uh, uh, peoples um, basically uh, have been worshiping um, yeah. sort of like parallel for thousands of years, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His so, name is William Jones, by the way. William there, Jones. There, yes. There yes. we go. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel better. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it's true. That's we've studied that as well uh, a lot. I, I studied that quite quite a lot when I was uh, studying, and it's uh, that's the amazing thing because I think. Sometimes people make the, in my eyes, mistake of saying that just because something is borrowed, it's not original. Um, I, it might might be uh, difficult uh, to understand what I mean, but I uh, because, for instance, if you then believe that all of the uh, Norse gods, for instance, were in their essence borrowed from, let's say, for instance, uh, yeah, Roman or Greek gods, it doesn't mean that they weren't then originally Norse. They were still originally Norse because they were put into a context that people at the time understood and that made sense to them. Uh, And therefore you get new stories and you get new situations and you get new aspects of these gods uh, and these ideas in essence. 
that they are. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool because yeah. a lot of people say, for instance, when it comes to, uh, the Roman gods, let's say that they were just basically copy pasted from the Greek gods. And that's, that's it. You know, they just stole them and said, nah, your name is not <laughs> whatever. Your name is now think, Mars. It's not Aries. It's Mars. Yep. Isn't there a Mr. Bean, uh, Mr. Bean meme about that somewhere out there? Like, is there? Like, so they like try to copy. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just like <laughs> Roman Greek. <laughs> Roman Greek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it looks like that's what they did, but of course they also made them their own. You know. Yeah, and they also had had, of course, some of their own ancient yeah. Etruscan, Etruscan gods as well. So yeah. 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 Um, Etruscan, which is not Indo-European, we think. Yeah. <laughs> also interesting. Yeah. As I say, using the language, are we kind of able to see where the Norse gods came from? Do we like? Do we know where what route that took to kind of get to them? Like you said, taking you know the Greek and the Romans are, mm. are very closely linked. Yeah. Well, the thing is, there's of course a difference between borrowing an idea and then borrowing a word. Uh, mm -hmm. and sometimes they go together and sometimes they don't. So like, for instance, with, uh, let's say if, if we say that Freya is basically the Norse Venus, let's say that, then of course the word hasn't been borrowed because, well, um, Freya maybe means what it meant lady or something like that, right? It means it's mm. the lady of, uh, the, the high lady or something. Yeah, it's, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's the uh, precursor to Fru. So, yeah. so, so a distinguished oh, yeah. woman, I guess. Yeah, that's basically. what that would mean. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Venus, I actually don't really know what that means. Uh, I have also haven't looked that up. Um, <laughs> but, but, but maybe the, maybe it was more the idea of, of a fertility goddess that was borrowed maybe, mm -hmm. or, uh, and, or maybe it wasn't borrowed. Maybe it was inspired. Maybe there was already another goddess in the Germanic mind that then was influenced by the attributes of Venus or some other, uh, fertility goddess from the Romans from the South. You can't really, you can't, well, maybe some people can have very educated uh, speculations about this, but uh, on the look of it, you can't really say anything about it. I uh, I recently, uh, now just to, to sidetrack, but sort of on track, uh, recently figured out that in Dutch, because I'm learning Dutch right now, they have this saying uh, about a tiny garden, that it is a postsegel, and that means a stamp. And in Danish, we have a little frimerke, which is your little garden. And that also means a stamp. So we have two different words, but it's exactly the same idea that has traveled everywhere. I don't know if they have it in, in, uh, in Germany as well. I don't even know. Probably not in England. No, no huh? it's actually kind of hard because I uh, quite often I want to use uh, phrasing that, that goes in that direction uh, when I'm talking about stuff. Uh, especially when I'm trying to describe to uh, Americans the, the size of Denmark. Yeah. Uh, I want to call it's it just a like a little, little, stamp. little, little stamp. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, why yeah, would you use like, oh. that analogy? That's so weird. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I think we, I think we do say kind of like some things as small as a stamp. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, but it's not, it's not but uncommon. Not particularly about an area of land. I think, you know, I think maybe we, maybe about land, but maybe just about things in general, yeah. just like, 
if something is small, we would say maybe it's, I think maybe it's an it's an older phrase. I don't hear it much, but it, I feel like if I heard it, it wouldn't be uncommon. I wouldn't be like, well, that's a, that's a bit weird. I feel like it is something that I've definitely heard before, and it's not kind of unusual to to you know for something to be compared to a stamp. Yeah, yeah, because it is a very tiny thing that you have in your everyday life, so that makes sense. But uh, but yeah, I just found that really funny that someone just was talking about their garden and saying, yeah, I kept some kind of postsegel, and I'm like what <laughs> you said that and my <laughs> linguist brain just geeked out I couldn't that's, that. that's very cool yeah i mean so so i guess with just to go back to the gods yeah. um if you, i guess it feels like almost the germanic people would have had a, a collection of gods i guess and then separated up and gone their own different ways <clears throat> and i assume that you would maybe depending on your geographical position would depend on the gods that were more relevant to you as well. So I guess if you were by the sea, it would be more a sea-based god, or if you were kind of more inland, it would be something else. Yeah. So I feel like that would probably have a, a bit of an impact on which gods you took from maybe the original ones, and then from there it, it ever adapts and changes, yeah. and people add little bits, and it... Uh, it just keeps changing. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very likely. And I also think that it's very likely that um, just like it is in, for instance, let's say Hindu mythology, that a lot of gods are seen by people as very independent gods, but might have actually come from the same origin. And, uh, you know, uh, there are some people who say that in Hindu mythology, it's all just one god, and then they split into three and then split into exponentially ginormously a lot and um and might have been the same in norse mythology i don't know and i would say a couple of things so 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 that that's that idea it, it is uh, is also a theological uh you know point to make so to speak to say oh, oh originally one god and then multitudes because you know um you know people people see things differently or they talk about things differently and so on and this village over here then you know generates their own version of that you know the god i think that's a that's a theological point too that that, that you can make in a in in many of these uh polytheistic religions right but but what we can also see is that people have definitely always like experienced and thought about these de deities in very distinct terms, right? Yeah. Um, and another thing that's interesting to see is that there is a carryover um, that is consistent, like Tyr, as as a god in in the Scandinavian pantheon. I mean, he has a, probably one of the oldest histories when it comes to Indo-European yeah. uh, history. We find versions of that name um, in in like. Vedic texts from from northern India. We find uh, we find him. He's like so in Germanic. He would his name would be Chivas. Yeah. And in that, Roman, in the the Roman, it's Jupiter, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And because Zeus. Jew is yeah, and Zeus exactly yeah. And then in uh, in Sanskrit texts, it's the, the, the what is it? Deva Deva Peter. Yeah, I think some, something, something along like those lines. But again, it's it's the sky father. It's yeah. basically the sky father. And but, Pitar but you, means 
father. Yeah. yeah. But the interesting thing is then that, okay, so in, in, in Greece, he is still the sky, uh, sky father, right? Yeah. Zeus, right? Uh, Jupiter, same, right? Yeah. Also Peter, sky. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but Tyr in the Scandinavian pantheon is sort of like a footnote. Like, I, I know that, like, you know, popular culture probably the, makes a big deal out of his whole, like, losing his hand to defend his mm. wolf and all that stuff. Yeah, because it's really, a, an amazing image. Also. It's an amazing image. An amazing story, yeah. Yeah, but it's really the only the only role he ever has in the mythology. Like he's sort of a footnote in that regard, right? So, so whatever happened in in the relationship between like these the, the, that that uh, development of northern religion as opposed to 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 the other ones, that that god simply lost his throne, so to speak. We have we have some suggestions in in the Celtic material that. That there is some kind of uh, myth about this uh, Nuada, who's the king of the Tuatha Te Dana, the, uh, um, the, the, the the Celtic pantheon. Um, I mean, he loses his hand in the war against the Fomora, and then he also loses his ability to be king. So that might actually be a story that reflects something that has to do with what happens to Tyr. There's several theories on, on this, but, but it's just interesting to see how then, you know, you, you still have the name that survives. The word Tyr in, in Old Norse also means God. This is something that not just the God Tyr carries, but also other gods. You can refer yeah. to them as Tyr. Yeah. So, 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 so the, the word is still very meaningful, but this figure, he lost sort of like his, uh, his role altogether as, as that sky father. So. Isn't there also uh, another name for Odin, which is Hankatir? Yeah, there are multiple uh, um, uh, sort of compounds like uh, Fimbultir as well, the, the great god. Um, and you can also refer to the gods as, as uh, uh, like using that word as well. So, um, and the really interesting thing is that when we look at the place names, now I'm really going to nerd out on this stuff. Oh yeah, like <laughs> like Tistel and stuff like that. Exactly. So yeah. well, Tistel is a is a um, uh, it, that one is uncertain because it has still as the uh, the, the the last um, uh, the suffix here, and that um, at least in in sort of like generally accepted uh, scholarship. Does not make it a sacred place name. So oh, okay, but, so that, but that's Tisu though. Tisu, yes, that would be Tia's Lake, right? Yeah. So a, a sacred site dedicated to the god Tia, and we also have a bunch of archaeological material telling us, oh, there was a temple here, right? So, so that that fits the bill. Um, yeah, I would but say from that, when do you know from when the archaeological finds were? Yeah, they're from the six hundreds into the nine hundreds. As cool. far as I remember, um, maybe maybe early thousands, not entirely sure. So 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 the duration of the Viking Age and a little before, um, and this is what we see in most of the uh, these central sites as they're called, where you have like a little temple building of some kind. They are usually built from around the five hundreds and onwards, and this is also incidentally where we can usually. Um, identify most of those sacred place names as right? some of them can be you know, suggested to be earlier, but but a lot of them are actually from this period. But the thing about Tyr as a god, he's only found in the Danish area. It's um, also so weird, right? Wasn't there it's, one? There was one other. One. 
In yes, Sweden? No. No. Uh, so one island off the coast of Norway also okay. is, has a, uh, a Tyr um, place name. And, um, well, scholarship is still struggling to figure out why is there just like one up there? And yeah. then, like thirty-seven in the Danish area. <laughs> Have like, they all just been replaced? Custom. You know, maybe in Norway and Sweden they've been replaced by other gods that were more important, and then, uh, or, or for some reason, other other reasons been changed to something Could else. Be. Could be. But it's but why they're not in Denmark? Uh, because yeah. there's also quite a lot of uh, places that have something to do with Thor, uh, and then there's there's Odense, which is uh, Odin's uh, holy place, right? Yeah, so, so yeah. We, we actually don't, in the Danish area, we don't have that many Thor place names. We only have five, as far as I remember. But in Nor- Norway, there's... Uh, Norway, there's a lot, and in yeah. uh, in, in Sweden, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, could could this just be a case of, like, trends change? And I don't, I, I mean... Yeah, yeah. It's such a weird it's such a weird thing to think of because obviously we live in like this modern time where you know things become popular and unpopular and it feels like a very modern thing but is that something that could just be back then it's like you know Tia was hot shit for a minute and then suddenly it's kind of phased out and yeah. you're not cool you're not cool anymore you are <laughs> like oh what was this thing about Tia again nah Thor he's the dude yeah, with the he's, thunder yeah he's the guy now he's but- my guy you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But, no. but unfortunately, yeah. Denmark kind of got left behind. It's like that little. <laughs> we were just still like, oh, tears to shit. It's like, yeah. the Norwegians like, you guys, you're, like, you're, you're, you're behind so over there. So last century. <laughs> but, but, that do, but that does. All, the, the funny thing is, that doesn't also happen, though, doesn't it? You do kind of get either little pockets of areas that get left behind in in the trends or mm. they refuse to change because they still like it and yeah. it, it's still cool to them. Um, so it's kind of weird. I guess it's easy to forget that they're they're just people, and yeah, they were people a thousand years ago, but they probably still had very similar feelings, thoughts, and emotions to what we have today. And they will have been some guy, maybe they made something, and it was really cool. And everyone was like, "Wow, that's fucking awesome! That's the that's the that's the new the new thing." Yeah, 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 this is the new idea. Yeah, and that's that's like uh, so. Yeah, you can actually, when looking at the place name material, you can you can get a lot out of it. Like another thing that's really interesting is that Ullur, as a god, uh, he is like mentioned in an even smaller footnote by Snorri Sturluson in his Edda from twelve twenty, right? Uh, written in Iceland. Uh, obviously, this guy had no idea who this god was, because uh, you go to Norway and Sweden and you find so many place names dedicated to this particular god. And, and there's none in Denmark, by the way. Um, so again, there's there's something going on here where it's like incredibly popular here in like the central Norwegian area and the eastern Swedish area, but uh, unknown to Danes apparently, and and the Icelanders definitely did not not know what they were talking about when they were talking about this god. So could that could that be to do with the the snow and the kind of. I mean, I've never, I've never been to Denmark, but what, what's it like for snow in Denmark and hills and kind of skiing? I guess so. If, so one, uh, am I completely? <laughs> I could be completely off, but I guess I always think of like Norway and Sweden being like quite snowy and hilly and really good for skiing. They always seem to do well at the Winter Olympics. 
And yeah, like uh, you said, Denmark's quite flat and yeah, there's, like a, there, there are no hills in Denmark. I, I mean, Copenhagen had to turn a power plant into a ski hill uh, to have a ski hill. Uh, okay. <laughs> so that's the thing. No, so but, could that be be a link? So obviously, Ulla is kind of known as being the winter god, I guess, or the ski. I mean. That might be. You're probably going to tell me that's absolute horseshit now. I am. And it, it's, okay. <laughs> no, I. I well, so I, I can't just like, forget everything I just said. Scrap <laughs> no, that. No, I, I, of course I can't just say that it's horseshit. But uh, but but so this is Snorri Sturluson who claims that he says, "Oh, he's a god that like runs around on skis and mountains and stuff." Um, but that's all he really says that about it. Seems really random. <laughs> which is, which seems really random. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's not the most random thing in. Perhaps North not. Mythology. You know, there is some really weird shit in there as well. That is true. There's actually a lot of weird <laughs> shit in there, and you got to wonder about it. But if you look at the etymology of his name, uh, his name, Ullur, is actually uh, has uh, origin in the same stem as the word wealth, um, mm. which in older uh, Germanic would be Wolfus. So, so there is there is something that suggests that, that, that he's actually a, a, a fertility god. And so then all of a sudden, these place names make a lot more sense. It's like, oh, this is a fertility god that we're, we're, we're is venerating over here. And, and so maybe might, it was just Frey and Freyer that uh, came in and took over that aspect. Of- uh, perhaps in, an, in like a Western Norwegian context and especially in Icelandic context. So there's something to that. Um, I mean, there, there could be many uh, ways to interpret that, of course. But, um, but, but it's uh, ultimately, it's just interesting to see how there's definitely like some very clear trends. And, you know, one guy that we never find in the place name material is Loki. We know he existed in the Viking Age. We have archaeological material that suggests that. We know that the stories about him as a figure are actually ancient, some of them at least. We can find like uh, comparable uh, stories in uh, Georgian, like so in the Caucasian mountains, in, in their folklores, right? Wow. Um, you know, there's there's some aspects of Prometheus that are very similar to Loki as well. And but he's like completely. He does not have any place names anywhere no. in Scandinavia. So oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Could that be just to do with him being a little shit? And it <laughs> Could be. be right? kind of, <laughs> yeah. Kind of, I mean, I maybe you don't of, want your village or your hill or mountain named after him. Then you might call all his mischief upon that's you. That's Maybe maybe that because because when we had um, when Colin Dale was on, he was saying about how he he called his son Loki, and he was like the only one in. So, so obviously it's very uncommon to call your child that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and and people attach a lot of negative ideas to that figure today, thanks mm-hmm. to what Snorri's Dörtlesson primarily wrote about him. So, do do you think he would have been? So, some people put almost put like a devil type figure on him, but how how accurate would you think that would be? Kind of to how he would be seen back then. Like, would he have been seen negatively? Obviously, I mean, he he causes a lot of trouble. Um, but to to the actual people in the Viking Age, would he have been seen as like a an evil figure or just like a your, your twatty little brother that that <laughs> fucks stuff up sometimes? So yeah, sometimes he seems really like that type of figure, right? That they're all oh, he's so annoying, but ah, oh, I can't stay mad at him. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like you know, like like a lovable rogue. You know, it's like that. It's like that. Everyone has that friend, or used to have that friend when you you go out drinking, and they're the one that gets into like a, a fight or an argument. <laughs> and it's like that guy. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, but you still hang out with them. Yeah. And you still go out drinking with them. Because but he's you're so entertaining. Exactly. <laughs> All the time, there's always something. So it's like, is he, is he kind of like... Cause, that's the other thing it's kind of like he he still pops up in all the stories so the gods obviously let him mm. hang around mm. for some there must be some reason um they must like him think about it as a jester at the court what does the jester do he makes trouble he stirs up shit and he also delivers the truths that the king needs to hear uh that nobody else dares say because yeah. their mm-hmm. job and nobody else is allowed kissing yeah. Ass. yeah exactly right so, 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 so that's a, an important function that uh, that that trickster has, right? The trickster will point out your flaws, right? He will um, he will write a review of your book and and <laughs> ask what the fuck's going on, bro. <laughs> and then, are you comparing yourself a little bit to Loki right now? <laughs> and and then uh then there there'll be you know some uh there will be some discussion there will be some uh, realizations happening and and people will if nothing else reassess their standpoint and mm. maybe that tricks will then end up ends up getting tied um in the underworld some somehow with a snake and a yeah but that's almost like yeah i guess kind of it's kind of when you push it too far like you have, you know, this, the, I, I mean, I used to have a friend growing up who was very, he was very good at getting himself into to trouble, but quite endearingly. So he, he was quite innocent about it and he would get himself in these situations, but he was almost too likable to ever really get any harm from it. Mm. But I guess you also get that one time where you push the, you know, you push it a little bit too far or do something that's, that somebody doesn't quite understand or doesn't take in a nice way, and then, like you say, you get it, you get tied to a rock and poison dripping on your head. Yeah. So, yeah. you can, you know, you can push, you can push your luck, yeah. as, as, the, as the saying goes. And I mean, the, the the trickster as a figure is so 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 common in mythologies and and folklore across the planet, and it's always the same with with this figure. It's a it's a it's a person who. Uh, who who is really creative and is the reason that we have so many awesome things quite often they're even like involved in the creation of the world itself and and then then they get themselves into uh, different kinds of problems and troubles and so on uh, out of curiosity out of like you know boredom like there's there's a lot of reasons for it and usually what happens is some kind of like um resolution that is that that has a positive outcome and then some punishment for the uh the trickster and in some cases especially in the nordic material but but also elsewhere we get like a serious serious like punishment where where the the trickster all of a sudden you know is actually turned into an evil figure so that's part of them as well they're ambiguous yeah i mean to, to go back to what I said earlier as well about not forgetting the the real people and I guess that that's something as well is they will have had senses of humor and I imagine you know they will have played jokes on each other you will have had that guy, one guy in the village who will have played practical jokes you know I, I imagine that's not just a modern thing like the so that you know it will have been a thing where people take the piss out of each other or you know you you do something and 
It's it's funny, you know, the, the humans at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. We do have. I mean, so I mean, there's a reason that that uh, that Jung, uh, for all his faults as a as a, uh, a psychologist and uh, a, a scholar and a mythologist and so on, like uh, uh, there's a reason he came up with the idea of archetypes, right? So these like uh, archetypes of of certain characters. Um, certain ways that you can be as, as a, as a human being out there in the world, right? Um, this is definitely something that we're seeing at work in, in mythology. Uh, this also relates to the Indo-European, uh, in the sense, uh, in the material, in the sense that, I mean, we're, we're seeing, um, cultures that have to some extent the same roots producing the same ideas about the world. Um, spanning from the Arctic to the tropics or subtropics, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's, that, that's pretty considerable that there, that there is a capacity across that span of like environments and, and ways of living and so on to still have, you know, similar ideas in certain areas at least. Yeah. It, it, that's why people say, I mean, uh, when you look at what language you speak and that, that, that really affects the way that you see the world at the same time as your culture does. So your culture, of course, what, what you grow up in, what people, uh, what is important to people that really affects how you look at the world, but, but how you talk about what is important to you and we talk about who's going to milk the cows or whatever that this is, you do this only with language. So this is the medium through which you see and express everything. And so of course, if your language has a certain grammatical uh, structure, it will affect the way that you're able to even actually think about, well, this is of course debated, but uh, express what uh, what is your world? How does it look? How does it feel? How does it smell? How does it? All these things. Um, yeah, it definitely works as a filter that way. Yeah, and yeah. you know, like, uh, well, as somebody who goes between cultures here and languages, did you do the same? Uh, yeah. So yeah, um, this is this is very apparent, right? Um, and uh, you know, when you when you move from Danish to Dutch or you move from Danish to English, it's not that difficult you know that's those those are very similar languages and similar ways of thinking about the world but i can only mm-hmm. imagine how that works for somebody who comes from somewhere in central africa and goes yeah. to like northern europe to england for instance that's got to be a huge shift in how you you think about your world definitely yeah. i mean you say it's not that difficult but <sighs> <laughs> to me, hearing somebody speak Dutch, I, I mean, wow, I, to me, it's like, it's, it's like Bill and Ben. <laughs> I don't know what like that, Bill and that's Ben That's what is. I hear. You don't know what Bill and Ben no, are? No, no. Oh, okay, so Bill and Ben, the flower pot men. So anybody who wants to, uh, you want to YouTube this after. All right. So they were these little two, I think they were Dutch guys, like the little flower pot people. But they used to speak Dutch, but it was like very uh, like over the top. It's probably deemed as racist now, but it was like kind of like flippity floppity kind of oh, okay. speaking. It was very, and that's kind of like it was just that's how I hear 
foreign language yeah. is like I don't <laughs> I don't <laughs> hear any yeah, yeah um, I don't hear any links in uh, no it just all sounds like gobbledygook yeah. to me <laughs> but I think I mean it depends of course of course like uh, about how do you what what is important to you what do you find interesting so of course I find it, language is so interesting um, and therefore I'm just like a sponge I want to just suck mm. it all up uh, and uh, get it I get wish it in there. I wish I did I, yeah. I really wish I did I just I just do that typical British thing of like are they speaking about me? They're definitely <laughs> speaking about me. Like anybody who speaks, like Matthias is every, there's anybody like on here and they start speaking Danish. I'm like, these motherfuckers are talking about me. That's it. No, I'm, 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 I'm paranoid. Now. I'm going red. I'm start pushing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's. It, I think I I just found it so cool in the beginning when, you know, when I joined Heilung, this is when I got my first proper like, uh, um, how do you say, exposure to people speaking Dutch close to me, and uh, and I just found it so interesting because I already know some uh, some German. And therefore, there were some words. I'm like, ah, that means this, that means that. But what is all this stuff in between? I can't figure it out. And the more I listened to it, the more it just, I just realized, okay, there's so many words that are actually almost the same as in Danish, just pronounced a little bit differently, or it's the same as in English, or it's the same as in is in German. Um, and now I'm just, I speak it on a daily basis, which is really, really fun. Um, I mean, the, 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 the word for stamp, post I mean, that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, post -seil, yeah, like. post yeah. It's post yeah. It's pretty pretty easy actually yeah. uh, when it comes down to it. And uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. st I'm still trying to master English half the time. So <laughs> yeah, but I think for, for me it's so cool because now of course I knew some some German and I could see the connections between Danish and German. So, but now I'm seeing all the connections to Dutch. Which before I learned Dutch, I thought okay, Dutch is basically just like a mix between. German and English, and then you've got some uh, Danish in there or some Scandinavian influences here and there. But of course, that's that's BS. It's complete bullshit. Uh, it is its own thing and has been developing for hundreds of years, of thousands of years. It, it is their fault that we mispronounce Scandinavian so much in Denmark, though. Uh, so I have such a such a pet peeve with people talking about people pronouncing things wrong. Right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> languages being wow. wrong and dialects being weird or wrong or well, this, ugly. This, ep this episode must have been a mess for you with the way I speak. Oh, but I love it. Oh, <laughs> I could listen to you all day. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I, I half pronounce words. I, it's, it's very blunt sounding. But no, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that I have such a thing with people saying that someone else pronounces something wrong. Oh, okay. Because okay. every language, every dialect to me is beautiful because it has its own history. It has its own sort of cultural understanding of what you're saying. It's all just, to me, it's amazing. So even like in the beginning, Dutch, I thought it was really ugly. And now I'm learning it and I think it's amazing. You, you, you need to uh, Google people from Dudley. Now that, <laughs> from that, now that is a Dudley is an accent. Yeah. Can you do it now over there? Uh, oh, um, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of Broome, but so it's uh, it's kind of Birmingham area, but it's like Dudley. It's very it's like a. 
I, I'm very proud of it. So <laughs> we're gonna okay. have, we're gonna have to YouTube it. I'm gonna have to YouTube it. Yeah, well, yeah, honestly, sure. now that if you can say that's a beautiful accent, yeah. then, challenge I mean, accepted. <laughs> well, I, so I, I apologize. I apologize back. to anybody from from Dudley. <laughs> um, well, Emilia, I would I would then say that if 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 that's something that you uh, don't like. If you don't enjoy hear people uh, hearing people criticizing uh, dialects and ways of speaking, then yeah. as a Dane, stay away yeah. from Iceland because people talk oh, shit about our language up there all know, the time. But, oh, but the Norwegians <laughs> and the Swedes do it too, and yeah, you know, <laughs> I I like I don't really blame them because you know if you're not a nerdy linguist like myself uh, or someone who's really just Oh, everything is amazing when it comes to language, and of course you're gonna have your uh, your your preferences. And I do too, of course. I I do find Swedish very beautiful, and I find Norwegian very beautiful. And I and Danish do wish definitely sometimes, sounds stupid. Like sometimes it does stupid. <laughs> sound really stupid, and and it is uh, it is just to me. There's just more than that, you mm-hmm. know. So languages are so much more than that to me. It's just like I might not find a, a person particularly beautiful, but you can still see the beauty in them, you know. Uh, and so it's, <laughs> That's the best description of Danish ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing. It's not, it's not a particularly elegant language, but it does have so much in it that is amazing. Yeah. And for instance, a, a friend of mine has begun writing poetry in Danish and nothing touches me so much as that because it's, you know, it's just, it's amazing. You can really bend it and, and uh, tweak it a lot. Uh, Danish, actually, I think, yeah, particularly Danish, I think you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. I, I'm going to have to wrap this one up oh, because no. I need to go and eat. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't Poor eaten it in a long time. I know. Not to look at me, you wouldn't think I was starving. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, <laughs> No, this is this has been fun. It's yeah. been it's been good fun. Thank you very much. And like I say, you are more than welcome to come back when your project gets off the off the ground. Thanks, yeah. I'd love to. Yeah, I'm looking forward more. to hearing more about that. And also, thank you so much for nerding out about languages and stuff. Like that was <sighs> great fun. <laughs> thank you. I'm really like I really happy. <laughs> so, um, where can people find you, kind of? social media wise check you out follow what you're doing yeah um well mainly i post stuff on uh, on instagram uh and it's uh, emilia lorenzen so my name and then dot music that's my handle uh and uh, i have a facebook page i don't use it so much so let's just keep to instagram and then of course when once my project gets uh, gets wings which i really hope it does soon then uh, then i will create something new but i will uh, i will post it there as well on my instagram Perfect. so that's mainly where i do things definitely yeah and we like to will share it and make sure people find it oh thanks as well <laughs> Matthias, where can people find you you can always find me on instagram under my name Matthias nordig um you can also find uh, stuff that I post and upload on the Nordic Mythology channel uh, page on Facebook. And of course, always go check my website, nordicmythologychannel.com. And yeah, that would be it. Perfect. Yeah. So you can find me at Daniel underscore Farrand one on Instagram for my personal page or obviously the business at Horns of Odin on there. Um, yeah. If you get a minute, check out our latest clothing range. Obviously, if you enjoy what me and Matthias do on here, please take a minute just to leave us a a five-star rating and a positive review. It helps people 
find us and you know reach new audiences um obviously we have our patreon as well where you can watch the episode so you can see our three beautiful faces as we uh as we record this so that that's adds another level to it we also have a bunch of other features on there me and Mateus do a a special episode every month on um about a different saga and we also have like a live q a episode a month so yeah definitely check that out that's just patreon forward slash nordic mythology podcast and yeah other than that thank you very much for joining us it's been uh it's been fun yes sure has thanks for having me no problem thank you <laughs>